Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Can we give these musicians and singers, amen, a hand clap of appreciation today? Hallelujah. Amen. Those, those extended times sometimes wears on the vocal and the fingers and all of that, but we appreciate, amen, their sacrifice in doing so. Going to be turning to Matthew chapter number six this morning. Amen. Matthew chapter number six. Amen. We had not included in our prayer, but it's the uh, it's not the elephant in the room. It's right in front of our faces. Of course, everybody continue to pray for the Ukraine and Russia conflict. Amen. That's taking place in our world. Amen. And so we need to be mindful of that. Uh, of course, and uh, if tonight you want to do your pre-service prayer in the back, you can. There's no seats or nothing. You either stand or sit on the floor, but that's available for you. And since nothing's back there right now, the acoustics are great. It'll bounce off the wall and hit you in the face. Amen. What you're praying about. So uh, nonetheless, you can do that. Amen. This evening as as well. Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six. I'm going to just read verse nine. Uh, we started last week again looking uh, another time at the, the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer in particular. And so we're going to consider that here this morning. Again, Bishop will be preaching tonight, so you don't want to miss that. So you have two, two opportunities of fresh voices, Bishop and then Brother Hampshire uh, next, next weekend. And so that's going to be great and tremendous, great and tremendous. Matthew six and verse number nine uh, just that lone verse is what we're going to center around today. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This morning, we want to talk about the particular phrase of our Father, which art in heaven this morning and consider this today thankful for the different ones that are here amen this morning master help us today god as we dive into your word let it be lord food lord and nourishment for our spiritual souls god and direct our lives and help us to pattern our lives after it in the name of jesus christ i pray amen of the church say amen Amen. We'll see how far we can get. All right. Amen. This morning here in the next few minutes, it just done my heart. Well, uh, I sit, stand up here and I, I uh, uh, worship and such, but you can see reflections in this drum cube up here and at the different angles. Sometimes I see people on this side, some people on that side, and it was just blessing my heart this morning. Service going on and, and uh, little Addie was over there standing on top of the pew and she's just doing one of those things. And that's exactly how it starts. I had little kids that did that too, and now they're right there doing it and still doing it. So that's how it starts. Amen. And so it blessed my heart. Amen. To see that this morning. Hallelujah. Again, this is the prayer in the scripture also found in some of the other gospels uh, called the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is actually a part, it's, it's a part of a sermon, a long sermon, might I add. A long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that starts back in Matthew 5 and extends its way all the way uh, up to through uh, Matthew chapter number 7. And so it's a component of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew sets this whole, whole context of, of the sermon to include this matter of prayer for the disciples, teaching them how to pray, the benefits, if you will, of prayer, even as the Gospel of Luke did. Note the setting, though. 
leading up to Jesus sharing with his disciples this idea or concept of prayer or how to pray. Matthew chapter number five, then verses one and two. This is leading into the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he, speaking of Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them saying. So there's a very large group of people. There's a multitude. All right. We have kind of two different groups of people here. Uh, there is a multitude. And then there is this more intimate group that's known to be his, his disciples. And so a large group has followed the Lord to this location on the mount. And as a matter of fact, the last verse of chapter number four tells us some of the various places that these people could have been from, that they were from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and other places beyond Jordan. So there's a great mix of people that's in this multitude. But among these people, the Bible says, and his disciples came unto him. His disciples came unto him. And I believe today that most of us are probably uh, in a Christian journey long enough to know this, that people follow the Lord today, uh, back then and even today, for many different reasons. Not everybody's purpose uh, for following the Lord is the same as the one next to them. People follow the Lord for different reasons. Some people in Jesus' day follow him because perhaps they were healed in their body from uh, a sickness or a disease or miraculously healed or perhaps someone in their family was healed or someone they knew. Others were there or they followed the Lord or were part of the multitude because they had simply heard of this man. They had simply heard of him. Uh, it was even blind Bartimaeus that when he heard that it was Jesus that was passing by, cried out, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So some just heard of this man. Others just want to find out what it's all about, right? They're just inquisitive. And so they follow the Lord because they just want to find out what it's all about. Some are there because they heard somewhere else that they were serving food whenever he was around. If that's not, I mean, some people still follow him today. You mentioned potluck or something along those lines that concerns food. I mean, people that's been hermits in their house for months will come out because there's going to be something to eat. You know, so people follow for all kinds of different reasons. And at times, the disciples had been defined as that disciples or as followers. A disciple is a follower, but let me state this. Not every follower is a disciple. A disciple, more particularly by definition, is a learner. They are a pupil. Not in your eye, but one, one that is a learner, someone that is being taught. It comes from a root meaning that means to learn or to understand. And I think it's important to notice that Jesus didn't even open his mouth, his mouth here on the mount and teach until his disciples came unto him, his learners, those that sought to understand. And so these were the lessons that were being taught. You want to talk about a sermon that is jam-packed full with everything the Sermon on the Mount was that. These are the lessons, if you look from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, these are the lessons being taught. He taught on the Beatitudes, like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that, you know, are, are the merciful. Uh, he taught on murder and anger. He taught on temptation, divorce, oaths, forgiveness, loving one's enemies. He taught on giving, prayer, fasting, 
the treasures of heaven, worry, judging and being judged, asking and receiving the straight and wide gates, the, the, the foundation of sand and that of rock, that was all wrapped up in one sermon. Wow! Man, that's awesome content right there. And although these lessons, all these things that he spoke could have been applicable to the multitude, to everybody that was gathered there, uh, the ones that would actually apply what was taught was the disciples, the learners, the pupils. Amen. And so uh, he was teaching people that would posture themselves as people that would learn and understand and put to use what he was teaching to them. It was common for a rabbi in the New Testament day uh, to teach his disciples to pray. And since Jesus was their teacher or their rabbi, so to speak, there isn't anything more natural than for what he's about ready to do for these pupils, and that is to teach them to pray. But I believe there's more to it than just that. So if the Bible says that he taught them, the them in particular are the ones, the disciples, the pupils, no doubt he's probably addressing anybody in the earshot. He's probably talking to all of the multitude, but the teaching and the grasping and the understanding the hungering has actually taken place for those disciples that are eager to be taught, the ones that ask, would you please teach us to pray? Amen. And so everyone, no doubt, could have benefited from what he said. Everyone could. I dare to say every time we gather here, everybody could benefit from a lesson or from a sermon. I know sometimes we'll say, well, this might not apply to you, but I guarantee you something in there, a period or a stress, something in there uh, can probably apply to you if you really are hungry you can take something back home with you if not for today it'll be for tomorrow for something that is in the future and so Jesus is going to speak to them on prayer and when he finished this was his 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 feedback the feedback of everything on Matthew 7 and verse 28 this was the feedback of his entire sermon and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings this is Matthew 7 28 the people were astonished at his doctrine. He had plenty of it in there. They were astonished at his doctrine. The word astonished there means they were buzzed or they were literally struck out of themselves because of what he had shared with them. And so as he came through his sermon to the setting of the Lord's prayer, truly those disciples would be the ones that would get something totally out of it. Everybody would hear the instructions, but the disciples are there listening, learning, understanding. Amen. And so that's the reason why many times this, this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is oftentimes even called the disciples' prayer because he's instructing them on how they should pray. The Lord's Prayer really is probably found, as we'll get to in our series in John, John 17, known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's probably really the Lord's Prayer. But here in Matthew, this is the disciples' prayer. And so when we look at the Lord's Prayer, the disciples prayer there are basically two sections of this or can be divided in two sections and in each section there are three petitions that are made known the first three petitions have to do with God or the first section has to do with God they speak about his name being hallowed be thy name it relates to God speaks about how thy kingdom come again that relates to God thy will be done that relates amen to God and then the second section has three petitions that have to do with us and the three sections that 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 pertain to us is this 
it's things that pertain to our past, our present, and our future that we'll see perhaps in weeks to come. And so the initial focus then of the Lord's Prayer is it, it, it's upward, and then the, the last latter portion of the focus is on us. And so it's God first and then man second. That is a good, that is a good setup. That's a good priority. God first for prayer, for prayer, God first and then man second. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer really parallels the Ten Commandments. The first of of about the four, the first four commandments relate to God. And the latter ones relate then our relationship with mankind. Should not steal, should not kill, bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, it's God first and then mankind as it comes secondly that we'll consider in weeks that's come. And so having addressed God as he really is, it, it is very important to speak of the other things that matter to him first. The things that are the heart and the mind of God. And to reorder our lives around the things that God prioritizes. And the things that are of value to God. So putting him first in prayer is really putting our life in order. And organizing our life with the things that concern God. With the things that are close to the heart of God. The sections, the second section of prayer deals with three essential needs of mankind. And I, I want my needs met, but sometimes we enter prayer with that being the focus and all the focus. Amen. But we need to consider the things of God. And so there's three spheres of time that's considered when we think about the second portion. For instance, it asks later, we ask for daily bread. All right. That which will be necessary for the maintenance of our lives. And so that brings the need of the present in view. We ask for forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or those that have trespassed against us uh, as we have trespassed against others. That brings into view usually the past. It's something that's happened. Some wrong, some, some bad mouth, some grudge, right? Looks at something from the past. And when we look and we ask for help and temptation, that many regards can be present and future. Uh, that maybe we're presently being tempted with or that which we will be tempted with. And so we commit our future into the hands of God. So those three spheres of past, present, and future are looked at in those, in those petitions. But let's look at Luke 11 and verse number 2. This is another place in the gospel in which this is brought about. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, I can't read hallowed be thy name for all those times that I read that little story about that little girl's praying at night. And she's in there and her mom overhears her praying, our Father. And she says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so it just every time I read hallowed, I think about that. That little girl is saying, Howard, be thy name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Remember, it's after this manner or after this pattern. It isn't necessarily something uh, for repeating, though people do, but it's a pattern. It's a manner in which the Lord gave to them to follow, to organize prayer after. And he said, when you pray, he said, say. And so for his disciples, what he was relating to this, he was letting them know that this type of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples required them to open their mouths and say something. All right? 
It wasn't, it wasn't a silent prayer, but it was something to be vocalized. I'm not saying you can't have silent prayer, but I'm telling you the type of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is that when you pray, say. Open your mouth and say something. If you've never prayed with saying something, but you've only talked in your head, try saying something sometimes. Open your mouth and say. Ian Bounds said it like this. He said, prayer is the oral expression of desire. He said, desire is silent. He said, but prayer is heard. He said, desire is unheard. But when desire is given a voice, it becomes prayer. Yeah, when you let those desires of your heart and mind be known, it becomes prayer. David said in Psalms 27 and verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so to seek, as David says in the Hebrew, is to search out by any method, specifically in worship, in prayer. It means to ask, to beg, to beseech, to inquire, to make a request. And most of those definitions then of seek involve, guess what? saying something David said I have a desire I sought after it I begged I beseeched I inquired if you will I prayed unto the Lord and so again vocalizing our prayer may not be our practice every time but it should never be skipped over should never be skipped over as well we should practice a man praying particularly here because he said when you pray he says shut the door when you pray in secret your father which is in heaven what you do in secret will be rewarded for all of that is the setup for the lord's prayer the disciples prayer particularly when you pray in secret and have shut the door vocalize something when you pray say open your mouth and say something amen aloud amen unto the lord here's the good thing when you open your mouth in secret and pray to the lord we know for sure you're not doing it for anybody else because there's nobody else in your closet of prayer with you except you and god amen so when you shut the door Pray unto the Lord. Pray our Father. Someone say our Father. Our Father. As a matter of fact, whenever Jesus conveys this pattern of this manner in which we pray, the words that he uses, the pronouns that he uses in the prayer, all of them are possessive plural pronouns. What I mean is this. You're not going to find words like I and me and my and mine in this prayer. You don't find them. They're all possessive plural pronouns. They are our, us, we. I is never the focus or this, the center of attention in the prayer that, the, that Jesus taught to his disciples. I is not the focus. He says, here's a pattern to follow. You're not to be the focus of your own prayer. I is is not the focus. It's never mentioned. The me, the my, the mine. Instead, we see words like we and us and ours. For a matter of fact, when the terminology is used of we and us and ours, look, you're not left out. The focus is not I singular, but when you say we and us and ours, you're still included. Do you get that? You're still included, amen, along with others. So it's not just about you, but it's about you and other people. It's about you and other humanity, other Christians, other people that are lost. 
It's about all of us. And so with this pattern of prayer, we are remembering ourselves in the, in the context or in relationship to other people as well. Or if I stated like this, we are not to remember ourselves without remembering other people. Huh? We're not to be remembering ourselves without remembering other people. And so although we are saying the prayer, the words, amen, and our thoughts, amen, give us, look, look at the scripture later, give us this day our daily bread, lead us not into temptation, right? Deliver us from evil. So whenever we do that, whenever we approach like that, Sister Tiffany, that includes me, but that includes you too. Whenever I go to God in prayer, I'm having a global, uh, uh, all of humanity type of mind frame whenever I pray that type of prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse number 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for what? All saints. So our, our puts us all together. It's all inclusive. It means all. It means everybody. It cannot shut anyone out. You know what that does then? That brings all nations into that prayer. That brings all races. Black and yellow, white, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, American, Native Indian. Well, Brother McGee, some of those folks that had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's okay. We'll get to it in a moment, but he's still their father by creator. Amen. And we all stemmed from Adam. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, it's really quite foolish to speak against another nation or another race or anything like that because when you do, you just incriminate yourself because we all came from the same place. Oh, all class distinctions, when we, our, it brings all of that. The pauper and the palace, it, it's, it's all in that. Amen. And so the first phrase of this prayer seems to put the greatest of the commandments really in perspective because what, whenever the lawyer asks, what are, what are the greatest commandments? And, and he says, well, you should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, right? So mine, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Upon these two commandments, both of them concern love. One of them concern the love that is vertical, another that a love that is horizontal. He said, it's all based upon this. This first, this first phrase of prayer really puts all of that in order whenever we say our Father. Because number one, it denotes our relationship to God. And number two, the our denotes our relationship to each other. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so when we pray our father, we're recognizing not only am I in relationship with God, but I have brothers and sisters. I even have the humanity that I'm a part of the network of. I'm a part of a community of people. And so in the natural, when I say our father in the natural, when I say our father, you know, our father drove the car to Walmart the other day. Whenever I say that, that indicates I've got siblings. Hallelujah. Amen. Our Father. Father. The word Father is used in two senses. It's used in a legal sense 
and in the sense of fatherhood. The legal father is the man who helped cause that child to be born into the world. The reproduction, the forming of it in the womb. This is the parent. They might, listen to me, they might, I'm just talking about in a legal sense concerning father right now. They might not have anything to do with the development of the child. All right. But they are the legal father nonetheless. All right. God is our legal father in that he is the creator of all things. He is the source. All things are for him. They go from him to him and through him. I believe it's in the book of Romans. He is the source of all things. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 6, the Bible states these words, Do ye thus requit the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? Amen. Is not he your father? Is not he your creator? Is he not the one that made you and formed you? David said that he was formed in his mother's womb. Even all his members were written in a book even before he came to be. And all of that was the handiwork of God. Jeremiah speaks how, Lord, before I, I was born, that you ordained me a prophet. You knew me. You had a hand in my development and in my creation. Isaiah 64 and 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art thou." our potter, and we all are the work of thine hand. So Isaiah is claiming the Lord in the potter clay clay analogy. You're the one that formed us. You're the one that made us. Uh, the clay cannot say to the potter, what are you doing? Because he's the creator of, of the whatever vessel that the potter is making. Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 10 questions rhetorically, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us. Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? He said, I'm not all one father. And then the parallelism in scripture, then he states, have not one God, meaning God is our father. That's what he's getting to. And so the Old Testament, though, had a different view of God, different view of God from the New Testament view. The Old Testament view for some of God is some, some being that is just so far outreaching that nobody can reach or talk or have interaction with even Job, which is really one of the earlier books of written scripture. I know Job comes right there before Psalms, but in reality of when it was written, it's more up in the Genesis area. And so it's one of the earlier written books of the Bible. Even in Job, Job 38 and 39, God bombards Job to the point of saying to him, what right have you to speak to me or to question me? And that was a little bit of the mentality of the Old Testament people. God's just, oh, you know, he's ooh, out there and we can't approach him. You know, he's the light that is unapproachable. And even in Psalms 24, like verses 3 and 4, and this is just for your reference, uh, we have the conditions laid down that in order to be able to approach God, then there's some, some qualifiers. And I'll read them to you. Psalms 24 and verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Amen. And so in these passages, in particular the Old Testament, we're seeing the relationship of God to the people more so as the creator to his creation. 
the one who formed to the one who was formed. God is mighty and he is and always will be even in the New Testament. But God is mighty and God is powerful. Amen. He has absolute say so over the world and what he has created. Amen. And the criteria in order to enter into his presence, right? Even the Old Testament law, certain sacrifices brought even for the high priest to be in the presence of the almighty God. We have all of those things. But as we transition over into the New Testament, there's somewhat of a relationship change or addition, you might say. He's not just our creator, but from Acts 2. Huh? From Acts 2. There is this fatherhood relationship that he is our father by new birth. So he's our father by creator of our first birth, but he's also father by regenerating of our lives in our new birth in Christ Jesus. And in that relationship, we see the relationship and the emotions of love and trust that happen between a father and its child. Mark's gospel, out of the gospels of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I did a little combination of Mark and Luke there and got Mook. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's, Mark's gospel, rather, is the earliest gospel. And so it's the closest to the time in the life of Jesus that is reported to us. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus calls God Father only six times. And never outside of the circle of his disciples. To Jesus, to Jesus, the word father was so sacred that he could hardly, hardly bear to use it. And he could never use it except when he was among those who grasped a little bit of what it meant. A father-son relationship. He spoke it usually among his disciples. For that matter, whenever Jesus prayed, he always used the word Father. Over 70 times, he uses it throughout the New Testament Scripture. There's only one prayer that he prayed that he did not use the word Father, and that's when he was on the cross, pinned there, and he cried in the Aramaic tongue, Amen, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only time we never see him pray amen to the Father or use the word Father is when he was bearing the sins of all humanity upon his shoulders, primarily, probably, because he felt separated from the Father at that time. He says, felt separated, felt like that intimacy was not there, that closeness was not there in that particular moment because sin does separate us from God. Sin does separate us from the Father. However, at other times, such as in Gethsemane, before he will go to his trial and ultimately his crucifix, Jesus prayed, amen, Abba, Father. The Bible says in Mark 14 and verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. The word Abba, is the word used by a child when speaking to their father in the home. For us, the best that I could relay it to you would be this. It would be like someone saying daddy. It's almost like saying daddy father. The devout Jew would not even dare consider thinking of God as daddy. But Jesus approaches it, Abba, father. Amen. Jesus had this view of God that he wanted his disciples to have, no doubt, a similar view of 
God. Because what? There's just something about a child and their father. There's a certain level of trust or he wouldn't run along a, a six foot high wall and jump over off of it and land in his father's arms. Right? There's just a certain bit of trust and confidence that a little kid has in their father when he knows the love is there, the care is there, and the concern is there. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or sonship. When you're adopted, you'll become the son or daughter of whatever it is adopting you. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry what? Abba. Father, daddy, father. So when we've been born again, we've been adopted into this family, right? Amen. We've been born into sin, but we've been adopted into the family of God. When we do it, Christ, it causes us to cry, Abba, father, or daddy, father. Amen. It is a relationship, a father-son relationship that we need to be able to approach God by in prayer. I have the confidence, as we've said in, in, in weeks past, that when I go to God, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Most children are going to feel okay with asking mom or dad about something, a question, maybe even for something, because they have a relationship with them that is a foundation for their asking. And when we have that type of father-son relationship with God, that daddy relationship, then we should not be prohibited or inhibited to go to him in prayer. Amen. And communion with the Lord. Stand with me. I won't, I won't, I don't want to take advantage of y'all. Galatians 4 and 6 says this, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We need to have that relationship. So he's our father by creation, but he's our father by new birth. He's our father by new birth. And the father creation, many thought was just something lofty, but it was brought near to us whenever we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that he's a loving father, an approachable father, amen, one that we can go to with needs and concern. And I'll just end with this little story and be done uh, for this morning. There's an old Roman story which tells how a Roman emperor was enjoying a triumph in his city and so he had the privilege, which Rome gave their victors and those people that were victorious, of marching his troops through the cities and the streets of Rome. And he had behind him uh, his captured trophies, his prisoners. As a matter of fact, when you read in the epistles where it speaks about leading the captivity captive, that's what it's speaking about, how they would lead those prisoners behind them, the man being victorious, lead his prisoners behind them in a train. And so the emperor was on this march with his troops. The streets were, were lined with cheering people because of his victory. Tall soldiers lined the streets and the edges to keep, as you would have modern day, people in their place, no one getting you know out of line, just kind of keeping at distance. But at one time through this triumphal route, uh, there was a little platform where the empress and her family were sitting watching her husband, the emperor, go by the, tr the streets with all his pride of his triumph and on the platform his mother was there and the emperor's youngest son this little boy and so as the emperor came near the little boy jumped down off the platform burrowed through the crowd tried to dodge between the legs of the soldier to run out on the road to meet his father's chariot and so the soldier stooped down and stopped him and he swung him up in his arms and he said you can't do that boy he said don't you know that that this who is in that chariot? That's the emperor. You can't run out to his chariot. 
But the little boy laughed and he said, that may be your emperor, but he's my daddy. And so when you have the right mindset, he's not unapproachable. He's embraceable. He's not a far off. He's near. He's not going to ignore. He's going to listen to every word you have to say. Amen. And that's getting our feet wet for this lesson. Amen. This morning. Amen. Thank you, though, for 30 minutes. Bam. Amen. In the spirit of the Lord, nothing like a good spirit of worship and word. Worship and word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, and the spirit of the Lord was here, and we want to continue in the vein of that. Amen. Tonight, Bishop will be ministering tonight. You don't want to miss that. Also, remember, next Wednesday is Bible study. You missed your last Connect group. If you weren't here, I'm sorry about that. I couldn't control the weather, and it was so late in the day. Whenever I was getting back from a visitation, all I could say is if you could be here, fine. If you can, okay. All right. But those that were fine, those are not, I understand totally, really do. Uh, but we will be in Wednesday night Bible study, amen, this coming Wednesday uh, for the spring months. And so let's come out and be a part of that. Again, I'm going to close this morning with prayer. If anybody wants to go back and just meander through the bathrooms and those baptismal rooms and back in there and look at the floor, Please take advantage of that and do so and come back tonight at six, ready to worship the Lord again. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit, God, that we have felt in this place. And I thank you, Lord, for taking us by the hand, God, and teaching us, Lord Jesus, means and ways, Lord, of prayer. God, and letting it be known that you are approachable, Lord. And it's more than just us. But, God, there is a body of people. There is a nation. There is mankind. And then there is the grouping, Lord Jesus, of the church, the ecclesia. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, that also bombard heaven. We do so collectively lord jesus today when we come to you even individually god i hope lord that there's other people other places praying and there's a collection of prayer god that's going up into the heavens god bless your people lord in their efforts god minister their lives and help them lord jesus to practice the lord prayer god in their own personal closets of secrecy in the name of the lord jesus christ that i pray amen amen the church say amen amen god bless you this morning in jesus name we'll see you this evening also, real quickly, if I can meet with the board, this over here in room three, whenever they clear out, just real quick. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.